Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Jesus is God who becomes a man, and he's heading towards the cross. He becomes man so he can carry our sorrow and grief, so we can be aware of our sorrow and grief. Doesn't mean we don't feel it anymore, it means he carries it. And he came to this earth to enter into suffering with us. He didn't create a world where there's suffering and then say to you and me, deal with it. God has a purpose for our suffering. If you're coming out of a tough season, you may be able to see that right now from your perspective. If you're in the middle of a storm, however, you may be doubting God is even with you. God uses suffering because He loves us. The greatest example of this truth is Jesus. Today on Practical Christian Living, God has a plan and a purpose for your suffering and for your pain. Look to Him and allow Him to use your rough times for His glory. Please stay with us for more out of John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. Here's Robert Furrow. Suffering is magnified because of the problem of evil. Evil is in the world because God gave man a choice. Some men choose evil, and that is now magnified suffering. And you and I may have gone through suffering because of someone. You and I have gone through suffering because of someone else. We all know what that is like. And so suffering is here because God created a world in which we interact with. And by the way, our souls are the same way. If we feel bad, our conscience, but even other things, if we just start feeling bad, it's telling us something is wrong. Now, I understand there can be chronic depression and there could be a lack of a balance of the chemicals that in your, your mind that make you feel good. I understand all that. But for healthy people, and most of us are healthy, when we feel bad, it's telling us something. It's saying there's something in your life that isn't right. That's the way God created the world. And it's magnified because there's evil in the world because God gave men choice because God's not a monster and gives people a choice whether or not they can love him. That's the world God created. Atheists don't like that world, but that's the world God created. The third reason suffering is in the world is because God has a purpose for it. God uses suffering. God's ways are not our ways. His ways are as high above our ways as the heavens are above the earth. If I were God, I'd probably try to find a way to bring deep character into people's life without suffering. But God uses suffering. C.S. Lewis said, and there's no good message on suffering that doesn't have this quote in it, by the way. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It's interesting that when you look at a map of where the most suffering is in the world, that that is the area that is more open to Christianity. When you consider where people are, have it the easiest and there's the least amount of suffering, there is more secularism and there is more people that deny the existence of God. Suffering and pain causes us to seek God. If there's a lack of it in our lives, then we have a tendency just to go our own way and to not really come to him. So God uses difficulty, suffering, and hardships to discipline his children. God uses it to draw people to him. God uses it to work in people's lives. Examples in the Bible of this. There's many scriptures that tell us that, by the way. But examples in the Bible, one is Joseph, way back in the book of Genesis. Joseph had several seasons in his life. 
The first one was as a loved son. Jacob loved one woman and ended up with four wives. If you want to read the very tragic story about how Jacob got four wives, it's back in Genesis. Doesn't make that sound very appealing. But you remember that he met Rachel at a well. They were both young and he kissed her and he cried. And I'm still not sure, is that romantic or not when you kiss a woman and cry? And then he wanted to marry her. And then he gets duped and marries her older sister instead. And then, then he marries Rachel. And then Rachel's barren. So she gives her handmaiden to Jacob and she becomes a wife. And then her sister Leah gives her handmaiden because there's this competition. And he ends up with 10 sons before Rachel ever has a son. And finally, when Rachel has a boy, it's Joseph. And now he loves him more than all of his other sons. And that's always a problem. He loves him more and he treats him in a certain way and his brothers out of jealousy kidnap him, throw him in a pit, plan to kill him and then decide to make a profit on him and sell him into slavery. So he went from loved son to slavery. It got worse. He was the slave of Potiphar who was the commander of the army of Israel. He had a wife and when she saw Joseph, Joseph by the way was very, very capable and he rose in ranks very quickly in the family as a servant for Potiphar. And he went into the house to do his business one day and Mrs. Potiphar was like, come over here. And he's like, no. And then one day when he went in and they was there alone with her, she grabbed him by his robe and said, sleep with me. And he wiggled out of his robe and he left it behind. And when Potiphar got home, she said, that slave of yours came in to rape me. And he ran away. I screamed and he ran away without his coat. And so Potiphar threw him in jail. He went from the frying pan into the fire. Now he was a loved son, and now he is, is a slave, and now he's a prisoner. But God's providence was at work. And he just so happened to be in there with Pharaoh's butler, the cook, and his wine taster. Which just so happened. And he tells them dreams. And when one of them is killed and one of them is released, the Pharaoh has a dream. And then the baker goes, I'm remembering those days when you were really upset at me. It's the way that you, to a king or a, a pharaoh, it's the way you interact because you know that if he gets mad, you could be bad for you. I'm remembering the days when you were upset with your baker and uh, I think it was the baker and he said, and, uh, and I went to jail and there was a man there who told me my dreams. So he goes and gets Joseph and God raises Joseph to the second in command in all of Egypt. And, and through this dream, he controls Egypt and collects the grain during seven years of plenty. And then when there's seven years of famine, he saves the entire region because he has collected enough grain over those years to save them. Joseph has two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. One of their names means, you have made me forget my pain. He had all that suffering, but God used it to bring about a good work. We could talk about Paul, and I've written out a whole thing for that, but I won't. But just to say that, I don't have time, but just to say that Paul suffered greatly and God used him greatly. And Paul understood that. Paul wanted his sufferings to fulfill the work of Christ. Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. But the greatest example by far of how God uses suffering is Jesus. Now follow me on this because it's very important. Jesus is God who becomes a man and he's heading towards the cross. He becomes man so he can carry our sorrow and grief, so we can be aware of our sorrow and grief. Doesn't mean we don't feel it anymore. It means he carries it. And he came to this earth to enter into suffering with us. He didn't create a world where there's suffering and then say to you and me, deal with it. I created it, I'm God, you deal with it. 
He created a world of suffering and then he came down to suffer with us. And they beat him so severely he no longer looked like a man. The Bible says they tore his beard from his face. They put a crown of thorns on his head and they scourged him. 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails. Has glass and metal in the tips of it. Rips open the skin. Some people didn't live from that. He was so brutally beaten that night and morning he couldn't carry the cross at 9 a.m. to the hill. Somebody else carried it for him. And they drove nails through his hands and through his feet. And he hung on that cross for six hours and suffered along with mankind. That's very important for us to understand. But why did he do it? Because God had a plan and a purpose for the suffering. Just like God has a plan and a purpose for our suffering. And just like this blind man had a plan and a purpose, God had a plan and a purpose for his suffering. And Jesus, when he came and suffered that great suffering, was so that we could have eternity so that he could take our place. It was an atoning work and God used suffering for his purpose and his plan so that it is undeniable. There's no Christian who would say, no, it's not true. God doesn't use suffering. God doesn't have a plan for suffering. Every single Christian, when they look at what the scriptures say, would say, yes, God has a plan through suffering. We might like to be like the person that has CIPA and not ever feel that suffering, but God says, I got a plan. I got a plan to work in your life. I got a plan to, to set people free. I've got a plan to use you in the midst of your suffering. The fourth reason there's suffering in the world is it gives us a chance to meet the need of suffering. It's part of what Christians do. Jesus said, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was naked, I was sick, and I was in prison, and you helped me. And we say, when did we see those things? And he says, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. So we want to relieve suffering when we can. There's a couple of different things that I would like to talk about. I know we have kids among us today, so I'm going to limit it to abortion. And I realize that this is going to cause maybe you to have a conversation with your kids later on. Sorry. And also, if you disagree with me on abortion, maybe stay and listen and then walk out. You can still walk out and disagree, but maybe, maybe try to have an understanding. I, I do with what the other side believes. There are, um, there's a point in the development of a fetus where the fetus develops its nerves. It can feel pain. And a certain percentage of abortions, and they're not incredibly rare, by the way, some try to claim, they're not the majority of abortions, but they're not incredibly rare, are late-term abortions. And nothing is, no thought is given to the pain that this fetus will feel. If that fetus that is viable, meaning it could survive outside of the womb, were, were treated the same way they treat that baby in the womb, they would be arrested. They burn that baby with chemicals. They pull it apart. They, that baby is in complete and total pain. And, and, and I'm not going to say no one cares, but just for the sake of making a point, no one cares. And what kind of a pastor would I be if I saw that happening and then didn't say anything about it? Or, or, or even didn't do anything about it. My, my sister is on the other side of this issue from me, my older sister. And um, she asked me why I vote the way I vote. And I said, you really want an answer? Do you want to just argue or do you want an answer? And she said, I really want an answer. And I said, okay, because. And I told her what I just told you. And I said, if I really believe that babies are being killed and they're being tormented while they are being killed, people care more about a seal, are more compassionate about a seal than they are about a baby in a womb that feels pain. What kind of a person would I be? 
Could you respect me at all as a brother if I just, just could let that go, if I really believe that that's happening? Now, she said, well, I don't believe it's a person. I said, do you believe it feels pain? She had no answer to that. She goes, well, I don't know. And I, that's the easy way out. I didn't tell her that. I'm telling you, not her. I should have told her. But that's the easy way out to say, I don't know. If that baby feels pain, it is immoral and wrong for you to do what you're doing. And it's immoral and wrong to take that baby's life. And unless the life of the mother is really in danger, which does happen. It is extremely rare, but it does happen. There was a time in this country when slavery was considered to be right by the majority of people. Did that make it right? The law changed and people changed their mind. Not until the law changed. People mistreated and, and abused black slaves in America. And it was considered right because it was the law of the land. But it was wrong. And most abolitionists were Christians. Most people that fought against slavery were Christians. And we stand today, and you, you make decisions on who, how you vote and who you vote for. You guys know we are not political. We're not partisans, right? But I vote on this issue. That's the issue I vote on. Because I'm brokenhearted over it. Because I'm angry over it. Because something's got to be done. And people have got to stop killing babies in the womb. There are years in which the majority of babies are killed are black babies. If that doesn't tell you something, I don't know what does. That during the 70s when this came about, Planned Parenthood was, was founded by a woman who believed that you should euthanize poor people, that you should sterilize them. I should say sterilize, not euthanize. Sterilize them so that poor people can't continue to propagate poor people. That's the woman who founded Planned Parenthood. And tell me that there's not all this evil wrapped up in this thing. So all of that to say, try to lighten it up now. That's heavy. Should be. But all of that to say that when we see evil, when we see suffering, we should do something about it. Every once in a while, we come across someone like the, like the Good Samaritan did. And when we do, we should help them. And we should always be willing to have compassion on those who are suffering and ask ways that we can support it. By the way, on the issue of abortion, of course, your vote's very important, but besides your vote, there's uh, Hands of Hope here, Crisis Pregnancy Center. They rescue hundreds of babies and they minister hundreds of young women. So the argument that we don't care about young women is so wrong, we go out of our way to support, to back, and to help young women that find themselves in crisis pregnancies, married or not. We go out of our way to help them, all right? So we've seen that Jesus often talked about helping people who are suffering and that we should be involved with it. We've seen that God created a world with pain, suffering to help us so that we wouldn't injure ourselves. We've seen that he gave man free will and that has led to evil, which has caused unnecessary suffering. And then we see that God uses all suffering, necessary and unnecessary. And we should talk about another category of suffering and that is illness that isn't from evil. You can have illness, you can have injuries that cause suffering that's not from evil, but God uses that as well, that God has a plan and a purpose for it. And that when we see suffering, we should be willing to enter in and to help it out, all right? But I wanna talk with the remainder of my time about the problem of evil. This is a question that atheists have asked Christians for, for 
Well, hundreds of years. It was first asked 2,300 years ago. And that question is, if God is loving and good, why does he allow evil and suffering? And in the question is an accusation against God. Your God must not be good or he must not be loving or he must not exist if there is evil and suffering in the world. That's one of the hardest questions for us Christians to answer. We struggle with that question. However, the question is flawed. And it is so flawed that atheists don't want to use it anymore. When an atheist is debating a creationist, they don't use this argument anymore because it goes to a place they don't like. They want to accuse God with it. But many have learned this. Frank Turek presents it. A person that asks you that question, he'll ask, do you believe, you believe that there's evil? Do you believe there's good? Most of the time, people will say, yes, I believe there's good. If there's evil, there's good. You can do good, you can do evil. Then they'll say, then you believe in morals. This is a greater problem for them because most atheists don't believe in moral, objective morals, that, that there's a rule that we all have to follow. But they believe in subjective morals. Well, I've decided murder is wrong, so it's wrong because I decided, but somebody else doesn't have to decide that, which is a scary thought. But eventually, after some bantering, the, uh, one individual finally said, okay, I, I agree that there's morals. Well, if there's morals, then there's a moral giver. So when you bring up someone, you, when you bring up evil, you are admitting that there is a God. Now, that doesn't mean that the atheist goes, oh, I have to agree with you, there is a God. The atheist argues over that issue. Now you're arguing not over the issue, if evil and suffering are, are why would God be good? Now you're arguing whether or not morals have a moral giver. Not that they agree, because they're not going to agree. You could finally ask atheists that are argumentative like this or want to do debates, and I'll ask them sometimes, if the Bible was true and Christianity was true, would you become a Christian? I can't tell you how many times they say no. I'm amazed that they say no. Because if, if, if something is true and I'm proven it's true, I'll believe it. If Christianity is proven is wrong, I won't believe it anymore. I don't want to believe something that's a lie. They're saying no. Even if it's proven true, if it's true, I won't believe it. That's how much they hate Christianity. So you're not trying to persuade this person. It brings the argument up into this question of a moral giver. They don't want that being said. They want to accuse God of being evil. That God allows evil, therefore he's evil. So when the question's changed, they don't use the argument anymore. No, that doesn't mean college students don't, because they do. And I was asked the question not long ago by someone that came up to me and said, I have a question for you. And he acted like it was just his own idea right off the top of his head. If God is good and loving, then why is there evil and suffering in the world? I wanted to say, did you just come up with this? That's amazing that you just came up with that. Epicurus was the first one to ask this question. He was born in 341 B.C., 2,300 years ago. Here's what Epicurus said. Is God willing to prevent evil and not able? Then why is he all powerful? If God wants to stop evil but can't do it, he's not all powerful. Is he able but not willing? Then he's evil. If he's able to stop suffering but he won't do it, he's evil. If he is both able and willing, where does evil come from? If he's able and willing, why is there evil if God is able and willing? If he is neither able or willing, then why call him God? If he can't and doesn't want to, then why would you even call him God? The modern argument is the argument that I gave you. If God is all good and all loving, why is there evil and suffering in the world? The first way we respond to that, or one of the first ways, is we could say, if you believe in evil, then you believe in God, then you can bring the question to another level. The second thing is there's an assumption in this account that makes it wrong. They accuse God of being somehow evil for allowing evil and suffering if he's all-powerful. 
But their assumption is that God doesn't have a purpose for evil and suffering. More specifically, the assumption is God doesn't have a purpose for suffering. So the way that I answer this question when I'm asked, the way I answered it to the young man that asked me the question, he said, why does an all-loving, all-powerful God allow evil and suffering? I said, because God has a purpose for evil and suffering. And that example is Jesus Christ who died at the hands of evil men and who suffered greatly so he could save all of mankind. And then I went, and you as well, if you want to give your life to Christ today. Because that's the gospel, right? Now, he didn't agree because most of these people won't agree. They, they think they've got you. They think that that's the aha question. You might even find on the internet the question Christians can't answer. So totally dishonest. Because if God's got a reason for suffering and pain, then that's the reason an all-powerful, all-loving God would allow evil and pain in suffering in this world because he has a plan and he has a purpose for it. That at least equips you when you run into this question, when someone asks you, you won't at least go, oh, it scares Christians. We're just caught out of the blue. And atheists love to use it. Like I said, they don't use it in debates anymore because someone debating knows how to handle it. And we do too now, you know? When someone brings it up to you, you can go, well, God's got a plan for the suffering. That's why there's suffering in the world. What about evil? God's got a plan to use evil. And the example was Jesus Christ. And if you would like to give your life to him, he did a work on the cross through evil men and suffering for you. Three things in closing. Number one, God is aware of your suffering. And God has a purpose for it. He has partaken in it. The Bible says he bore our sorrow and our grief. God is not unaware of it. The Bible says that he knows every tear you've ever cried, that God's close to the brokenhearted, that a bruised reed God will not break. You find a bruised reed by a lake, God won't break it. He knows what you're going through. He's there with you. He's, he's with you in it. Number two, look around you and consider how you can help to alleviate suffering. Maybe with a great cause like abortion, maybe with someone that you come across that's got suffering in their lives. Find out how you can help to do that. In doing so, you become Christ-like because Jesus relieves suffering as well. And finally, number three, know that suffering is for a season, like Joseph. Suffering is temporary. Even if the suffering you're going through now takes your life, a door will be opened to you and you will enter into a world where there is no pain, no sorrow, no tears, no suffering. You are given eternal life and the suffering that you are facing is temporary. For most of us, the suffering that you have will not lead to death. For some of you, the suffering you have may lead to death. But for some of you, it won't. There's a season. And sometimes we feel like, I just can't take it anymore. I just can't catch a break. And someone told me that just the other day. I just can't catch a break. It's just always something. There are times like that in life, aren't there? But God's completely aware of it. And he'll walk you through that season. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even there you are with me. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can take time to deal with this issue of uh, suffering and pain, the problem with pain. Thank you that we can equip ourselves against those who are anti-theists that are against you. They, they don't believe in you, but they're against you. Lord, I pray that we would be equipped by your word and by your spirit to be able to deal with it. 
We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Kagan 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.